folks, I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and you're listening to the podcast, Small Package. Give me a hold, buddy. Hey, everybody, Corey Poindexter here, and this week on the show, CM Punk had two fights this week, one in the courtroom and one in the octagon. How did he fare in both? We'll tell you all about it. Uh, Also, results from UFC 225, what a card it was. New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion 2018. Who walked out with some of the IWGP titles? We've got that, too. Also, Raw and SmackDown talk leading into the go-home shows for Money in the Bank go-homes this week, Monday and Tuesday. How is the story shaping up for Money in the Bank? We'll talk about all that and more today on the Small Package Show. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Small Package Show. It's Rory Poindexter here. Sans Bob this week. It's uh, a lonely time to be me. Bob is covering E3, which is going on right now. It's hard to believe, but we are actually entering... I guess this would be the start of our third year. Uh, we're celebrating our second anniversary um, in terms of the new format of the show and when we've switched over to Podbean from the previous method of uh, being hosted on SoundCloud. Uh, We kind of don't count those first couple of episodes that happened. Um, They are on the Podbean. You can go back and listen to how awkward the show used to be. Just me. Bob is out covering E3 for Newsweek, so he's pretty busy right now. He will be back for this week's episode coming up. Uh, for the go home shows and by the way a quick shout out you may have noticed some new intro music to today's episode Uh, the song you were hearing is Affliction Nonfiction by friends of the show Uh, We Are As Ronin Uh, this is uh, off of their new EP Immortal and Empty Uh, you can check out We Are As Ronin on Spotify uh, Apple iTunes uh, just about anywhere you get your music. The EP is out there. Again, the band is We Are Is Ronin off of the Immortal and Empty EP. And the song you're listening to right now is Affliction Nonfiction. Uh, we're going to have another track of theirs playing at the end of the show uh, called Clive Burns. That is the uh, central figure of the EP. As uh, their lead singer explained it to me, uh, it is a concept EP about a man who turns into a werewolf uh, it's pretty heavy stuff so if you're into uh, metal music definitely check it out highly recommend it friends of the show oh man what a week what a week um so a lot going on right now in wwe a lot going on in the world of wrestling and in fighting uh and honestly Part of the reason that I tuned in for UFC 225, I've watched more UFC events over the last year and a half, two years than I probably ever had before. And a big part of why I started uh, watching 
I mean, I, I love UFC. It's, it's very interesting stuff. But one of the reasons I tuned in specifically for this fight was because, uh, as many people know, CM Punk is scheduled to fight Mike Jackson in uh, the opening fight of the main card. And a lot of people debated on whether or not this fight should have been on the main card for the event. Um, definitely the low point of the main card um, in terms of just fighting abilities in the match. Both men were 0-1 going into the match. Um, we're just going to jump right here into UFC 225. Um, both men were 0-1 going into the match looking for their first wins. And, you know, it did definitely feel like CM Punk... I mean, he had the home home field advantage, I guess you could say. The crowd was definitely on his side. Um, however, as much heart as he had, as much determination as he had, uh, it just wasn't really enough to overcome Mike Jackson, who, you know, is, is more skilled in MMA. However, Mike Jackson also didn't look particularly strong in the match. Um, you know, CM Punk had a very good first round. Um, some people said the first round went to Punk. I'm not exactly sure about that. Um, I haven't seen the final scorecards for how each judge scored, but CM Punk did unfortunately lose um, by decision. It was unanimous. 30-26 is across the board. Um, and Dana White was not pleased after the match with Mike Jackson. He, he felt like he was toying with CM Punk to get more airtime, that he could have finished the match uh, way earlier than he did. Um, cause CM Punk, I mean, he, he survived the second round. Um, I mean, just barely survived. And then he barely survived the third round. If we're being honest, I mean, it was pretty brutal. Uh, he was busted open. Uh, Ariel Wani said afterwards that he left. The reason he left so quickly and didn't do a post fight interview with, uh, Joe Rogan was because he went to a local hospital and, uh, got facial CT scans uh, now everybody is reporting that he's fine, which we're glad to hear that. Glad to hear that uh, CM Punk is in good health. And so that was the first fight on the card. And a lot of people speculated that the reason that even made the main card was just because CM Punk is a draw in terms of his name, the value that his name brings. Um, and that's certainly fair. I, I did not, unfortunately, watch the undercard. Um so I won't be talking at all about the undercard on this one, but uh, the one of the performances of the night was actually, I believe, the last match on the undercard on the prelims right before the main card started. And, uh, man, I have to say, though, UFC 225, what a show. I mean, this show was very exciting. I mean, if I wasn't a fan of CM Punk, if I wasn't a wrestling fan who knew him, who CM Punk was, I definitely would ha not have been excited about that fight because it was a slog. However, the rest of the card was very fun to watch. Um, so we had uh, Tai Tuivasa uh, versus, uh, <laughs> I'm going to try not to butcher his name, Andre Arlovsky in the heavyweight division. Uh, Mike Jackson and CM Punk was a welterweight fight. Uh, in the heavyweight division, uh, Arlovsky was ranked higher going into the fight. Uh, Tuivasa had not lost, uh, I believe, nine 
consecutive first round knockout victory. So big question of whether Tuivasa could go more than a round if Arlovsky could hold him off and knock it knocked out in the first. And ultimately it did go the distance. It went all three rounds and Arlovsky looked very strong for a lot of the fight. Um, and so it, it was very close. A lot of people weren't sure which way it was going to go up to the decision. It wasn't one of those fights where you could just, you know, tell at the end of the third or the end of the fifth, you know, which way the, the, the judges were going to go. Uh, ultimately, Tuivasa wins by decision, 29-28, 29-28, 29-28. Um, he did look very strong in the early round. Um, but Arlovsky, I mean, he also looked very strong in the first and he looked great in the second. Uh, ultimately, uh, Tuivasa had the strike advantage and I believe that's, you know, what wound up leading to him getting the decision. Uh, Holly Holm, uh, versus Megan Anderson in the featherweight division. And this was my favorite match of the night. Uh, this fight was very intense. Uh, Megan looked Strong out of the gate in the first round. However, by halfway through the first round, Holly Holm was just dominating. And it was her fight the rest of the fight. Uh, Holly Holm looked very, very strong, very dominant in the sec- in the, especially the second half of this fight. Um, and uh, Holly Holm ends up getting the decision 30-27, 30-26, 30-26. Uh, afterwards, Joe Rogan asked her if she was going to stay in the featherweight or go back and try to get back the uh, bantamweight uh, title, and she hasn't made a decision. She does strongly want to fight Cyborg um, in the future um, and try to deal her her first loss. So we'll have to see what happens for Holly Holm. Uh, she's getting up there in age uh, in terms of uh, you know for UFC for uh, you know she's she's in her she's in the second half of her thirties. I think she's thirty six or thirty seven now. Um, so. You never know how much time you're going to have left. I mean, some of the fighters who were on this card were up there in age, but still strong. So if you can still hang, you know, the age is just a number. But it is worth considering that as they get older, the wear and tear on your bodies, the training camps, the fights themselves, how long can Holly Holm go? We'll have to see uh, if she gets a title shot soon. Uh, Next, this match was very, very heated. Uh, not a lot of Colby Covington fans out there in the world. Um, but uh, Rafael Dos Anjos fighting Colby Covington for the interim welterweight title. Um, this match, again, was just another just knockdown drag out. Um, you know, there were moments where each guy could have wound up getting knocked out. There were moments where each guy seemed like they were going to win this fight ultimately it goes the distance and uh all five rounds and by decision colby covington is uh the interim welterweight champion he wins 49 46 48 47 48 47 um and the crowd was not happy at the end of this neither was twitter uh a lot of people disappointed that colby covington is now the interim welterweight champion um but hey, man, that's just how it goes. He was the better fighter. Uh, finally, this one was interesting. So Robert Whitaker was fighting uh, UL God Soldier Romero. 
um, soldier of God, God soldier. One of those, uh, his nickname was was said both ways by commentators and uh, Bruce Buffer. Um, interesting going into this, if you're not a UFC person. So this was originally supposed to be a middleweight championship match. However, uh, Yoel Romero missed weight by two or three ounces, but they take it very seriously. And for title fights, there's no wiggle room. You have to make weight. Um, there was a little bit of controversy because at, when you do the weigh-in, if you miss by under a pound, they usually give you, I believe it's two or three hours before a second weigh-in. So they give you a chance to sweat it out. However you want to lose a few ounces. Um, Romero's camp said that he wasn't given the normal amount of time that he was pressured into coming back early for the second weigh-in and he missed it by 0.2 pounds. Um, and so this fight was up in the air up until a day or two out from the fight. Um, Whitaker agreed to still continue the fight, even though Romero was overweight, but it was a non-title fight. Um, and UFC was in quite a predicament here because if Whitaker were to lose to Romero, he would still retain his title since it's a non-title bout. However, you would now have a champion who lost his first fight after winning the belt. You'd have an own one champion essentially. Um, and so some people, conspiracy theory said the fix was in to give Whitaker the decision. Um, it was not unanimous. It was a split decision. And Whitaker did ultimately win 48-47, 47-48, 48-47 to, uh, well, not retain. He, he, the title wasn't on the line. Um, it was a very good fight to watch. I mean, this the whole card was very entertaining. This fight was insane. There were moments where it definitely looked like Whitaker was was knocked out on his feet, but managed to stay up, get distance, and come back to planet Earth. Um, and he broke his right hand during the fight. I think in the third round, he took a nasty fall onto his hand and broke it. Um, and there was a moment where Romero received uh, an indirect, um, you know, unintentional kick to the groin. So they got like a, like a up to five minutes. He had to sort of, uh, recuperate you. The trainers couldn't come in and help, but you got up to five minutes to stand off to the side and get some breathing room. And both fighters desperately needed it in that moment. Um, he did not take the full five minutes They come back to action. And it was very interesting watching Robert Whitaker try to fight with essentially only his left hand. Um, he threw a couple of punches with the right, but I think it was just to keep Romero honest um, because they were very wild strikes with his right hand. Uh, they didn't look like they were intended to actually land blows, but more to force him to answer to the right so that he could try to get a left in. Um, yeah, I mean, this fight was absolutely crazy to watch and uh, ultimately Whitaker wins. So he is still, he's one to know as the champion, um, which is what you want to see if you're Dana White and the UFC. Uh, UFC 226 is coming up on July 7th in Las Vegas. Uh, we'll see Marisic fight uh, Daniel Cormier. Uh, heavyweight championship match, match right there. So very interesting stuff. And uh, let me know what you think. Hit us up on uh, on Twitter at uh, small package POD. Let us know if you like us covering UFC and talking about UFC on here. If it's something you're interested in, we'll keep doing it. If it's something that you're like, I, I don't care about this. Why is this here? Hit us up and let us know that too. Maybe we'll drop it. Uh, it's just something new we're trying. I mean, obviously with the CM Punk fight, a lot of people were interested in that. So it was worth talking about. 
Um, but we'll see how uh, going forward in the future. If you guys like us talking UFC and MMA, maybe we'll do that. Uh, we're trying to cover more New Japan stuff. We're trying to cover more non WWE stuff. Uh, so let us know. Hit us up. We like your comments. We like your feedback. Uh, at Small Package POD uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a follow. We'll, uh, if you tweeted us, we'll read it on the podcast. Moving on. Let's go ahead and get into uh, New Japan. So Dominion 2018. What a card this was, too. Uh, if you get a chance, uh, not that I'm endorsing, you know, finding non-verified streams of an event. I would never. Um, but a website that rhymes with Snaily Lotion tends to uh, have a lot of the New Japan fights on there that you can find. Just Google search NJPW Dominion 2018. You'll find a lot. It's out there. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. Um, but yeah, New, uh, New Japan Wrestling, my gosh. Um, everything that they put out is just so entertaining. And it's it's definitely a different style. And not everybody who is a fan of WWE style is going to be a fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling style. Um, there's a, there's an adjustment to it. The crowd is different. The commentary is different. The matches are different. It's it's sometimes hard to follow the storylines long term when you're not watching every event per se. And the fact that it is a little bit more spread out, and you do have uh, more factions to follow is something else. Um, Lij is a big one. Uh, I'm gonna butcher it, but I'll give it a shot. Los Ignoberos de Japan. I believe I said that right. Maybe. Um, you also have, obviously, Bullet Club and the Elite. And uh, I feel like I'm going to butcher this one, too. But um, I'll give it a chance. Suzuki Gun. Suzuki Gun. Maybe someone out there can tell me if I'm saying that right. Um, but... All of their events are very entertaining, and the the caliber of talent they have is just just out of this world. It's so great, and this show was fantastic. I'm not going to go through a full rundown of every match on the card, and I'm not going to give a full breakdown of every match, keep this flow, and keep this brief, um, but very entertaining stuff uh, in terms of... Uh, Matches that weren't for titles. There was uh, that that are worth talking about. Zack Saber Jr. and Suzuki fought Toru Yanu and Tomohiro Ishii. Um, the match was very entertaining for a tag match. Uh, there was it ended with a double submission um, with both Zack Saber Jr. and Suzuki putting a submission on their opponents. Uh, both of them tapped out together. There was a post match brawl. Suzuki followed uh, Ishii out of the crowd. I mean, it was it was very intense. Um, and uh, another non-title one was uh, Cody and Marty Skrull and Hangman Page defeating Rey Mysterio, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I want to say this about this match. This match, when you consider the ages of the the losing side, was... Incredible, because Cody is is still in his prime. Marty Skrull is 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 
considering everyone else in the match young, uh, both him and Hangman are sort of coming up right now and, and entering their prime. Cody's in his prime. But when you look at the opponents they had, Rey Mysterio, 43, Tanahashi, 41, Jushin Thunder Liger is 53 years old. And these people, these men, despite being relatively up there in age, man, they really hung in this match. It was it was pretty entertaining. Uh, the ending, Jushin Thunder Liger got a, a really nice run off the top on Cody. Looked like he was going to seal it up. Cody, he hits him with the crossroads and gets the, gets the win. Um, but man, watching this match back for the age of those guys, it's, it's just unreal how good they are. Hiromu Takahashi defeated Will Ospreay for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship in a match that proved to me that A, Will Ospreay is not a man. He is a character from a video game. And B, he does not give a single fuck about the health of his neck. He could not care less about his own body's well-being. He took some bumps. Will Ospreay took some bumps in this match that made me cringe so hard. Landing just right on his neck. Um, this was a very brutal match. And if not for how great some of the matches on the card were, I might've said it was my mat, my favorite match of the night. Um, unfortunately there were other matches on here that just can't be topped. And so for that, it's not my match of the night, but it, it's definitely, if you're only going to try to find one or two of these matches, it's definitely one to watch. Will Ospreay does some moves that are just, like I said, ridiculous to watch the way that he moves and some of these flips that they do in this match. I just, I it's, it's, it's hard to understand, like to look at that and think, how would I do that with my body? Jericho fought Naito uh, for the IWGP intercontinental championship and defeated him. And that match was also filled with some brutal spots. Jericho, uh, rushes Naito before he can get through his entrance. Uh, he winds up assaulting him on the outside. Naito fights most of the match in his his uh, entrance attire. He doesn't even get to take off his jacket and everything. There's blood everywhere. He goes to put him through a table. The table doesn't break. I am the table. Um, and they get back into the ring. It was back and forth somehow for a while. Uh, and ultimately, Jericho picks up the win. Uh, that's another really great match. So on to what might be my favorite match of the night. Um, I'm, I'm doing some of these, I'm doing these matches out of order. Uh, just sort of going through the list of the ones I wanted to talk about. Uh, this match, I, for my money had the best storytelling of the night in terms of in ring selling of injuries. The young bucks were fighting the champions, evil and Sonata uh, of LIJ uh, for the uh, IWGP heavyweight tag titles. Um, and this match, the in-ring storytelling was great. Um, one of the young bucks hurts his ankle early in the match, sells it so well. And I just absolutely loved the way that this match went. Uh, ultimately the young bucks win and pick up the IWGP heavyweight tag team championships. Uh, great match. Uh, if you're only going to watch one or two matches, this is definitely a contender for the match to watch. Uh, also, uh, Michael Elgin defeated uh, Goto and Tai Chi for the Never Openweight Championship. It was a fine match. Um, I wouldn't put it up there with uh, Osprey and Takahashi or Jericho and Naito 
or uh, the Young Bucks and Evil Sonata, uh, or the one that I'm about to get to. So Kenny Omega fought, again, I'm used to saying Okada, but I'm going to try to say it. Kazuchika Okada. There we go. I tried to say his first name. I'm bad with the first names. I can do the last names. But Okada Omega 4, this is their fourth bout, uh, was for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and was a two out of three falls match. Uh, and when you look at, at, at a series at this point, a feud that has played out over well over a year um, and has just had some of the best matches maybe in the history of wrestling. Uh, the in-ring psychology, the storytelling of their matches are always great. This match, no exception. Uh, Okada gets the first fall. Uh, and I, I would say relatively quickly considering the length of the match. I mean, his match clocks in at, at over an hour. Um, he gets the first fall. Kenny Omega on the ropes. Omega winds up squeaking out the second fall and getting it. And ultimately, the third fall goes to Kenny Omega, who walks away the IWGP heavyweight champion. Um, he, he, the Young Bucks came out and celebrated with him. Uh, interesting note in the match, that at one point Omega performed a Styles Clash, and the crowd went absolutely wild for it. Um, very interesting stuff. Um, it was a fantastic match. All of these matches are are very fun. The card is amazing. Definitely go try to find this, these these matches and watch them. Dominion 2018 was a rousing success for New Japan. Um, they always put on entertaining matches. They always put on entertaining shows. And uh, like I said, it can be a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say a struggle. For someone who is a fan of the WWE style, of the big time sports entertainment feel, it can be a little jarring to switch to watching something like New Japan, um, where it's about the in-ring storytelling more often than not. Um, and you know, now the English commentary is there. It has gotten progressively better over the last, you know, year or two. Um, and so that makes it much easier to watch as an outsider. Um, but if you're into wrestling and you watch the quote unquote indies, you'll see a lot of faces popping up in new Japan. Um, and I definitely think if you're not on new Japan, get on it, watch it. It's very entertaining. Um, you know, check out the matches for the Young Bucks. Check out Will Ospreay. You know, Jericho's over there. It's a good transition for some people. Kenny Omega is always great. Okada is always great. Kota Ibushi is over there. He's always great. Zack Sabre Jr. is over there. A lot of names you recognize from Evolve pop up there. Um, you know, Thunder Liger is always fun to watch. Cody is great. Marty Skrull, all the guys in the Bullet Club are fun. Hangman Page 2. Uh... It's definitely worth watching if you're not on it. Anyway, moving on. Um, so I had to uh, had to do uh, the New Japan stuff before I got into the WWE news. Um, because one of the things that we want to talk about in the news today is uh, WWE. And this is one of those things with WWE where it, this could mean nothing or this could be big. It's Or it could be somewhere in between. Um and and the reason I preface it with that is WWE does not typically comment officially on outside entertainers, on wrestlers who are not WWE guys, especially ones who have not been WWE people. Um, sometimes if something big happens with somebody who is no longer with the company, 
they'll they'll mention it but only if it's somebody who was a WWE guy and you know left on good terms but it was interesting because leading into E3 uh which like I mentioned at the top of the show that's where Bob is uh this week uh he's uh, this he's covering E3 first day uh just happened and um Xavier Woods is going to be at E3 and he's going to be having a street fighter match against Kenny Omega. If you followed, uh, if you follow Xavier Woods online with his up, up, down, down YouTube channel, his video game stuff, he has a rivalry with Kenny Omega and WWE did a write up earlier this week on the fact that Xavier Woods was going to be fighting Kenny Omega in street fighter at E3. And not only did they name drop Kenny Omega, not only did they refer to him as the cleaner, Kenny Omega, and say that he is an outside talent, he is a wrestler, not with WWE, um, and they, they embedded uh, a tweet from his Twitter account into their write-up on WWE.com. And that's not usual for WWE to actually reference another wrestler who is not a WWE guy existing, let alone put that person's, you know, official Twitter account tweet embedded into the article. Uh, things got even more interesting because later in the week, they wrote a second write-up about Xavier Woods and Kenny Omega having uh, this this match in Street Fighter at E3. Uh, but they also referenced New Japan. They referenced that Kenny Omega had won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and that Xavier Woods was going to be bringing Kofi and Big E from the New Day. So Kenny Omega was going to be bringing uh, the Young Bucks, the IWGP uh IWGP heavyweight tag team champions from new, from new Japan and even referenced um, one of Kenny's finishers, the V trigger uh, in the write-up. So it's interesting to see them uh, mentioning both the young bucks and Kenny Omega and embedding official their, their official Twitter accounts into these write-ups um, and, and, I don't, I don't remember if last week Bob and I talked about this on the podcast, but uh, recently there was a leaked document of people that WWE had been targeting when they were first building what we now know as NXT post OVW and post NXT being a reality show when they were building the NXT as it is we know now. Uh, and some of the people on that list that were leaked were the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And so it's interesting to see them referencing that. We know that they've tried to get all three of those guys in the past, along with other Bullet Club members, and they did get Adam Cole, and they did get Finn Balor, or Prince Devitt, whatever you want to call him, um, and AJ Styles. So it's interesting to see them targeting these three. Oh, and also uh, Gallows and Anderson. You know, not to, I'm sorry, no, not worrying about making a complete list at this point. You get what I'm saying. So it's interesting that they would do that. Um, we'll have to see what that means. It may, again, it could mean nothing. It could be just a passing, uh, moment where they were like, Hey, we're trying to promote Xavier and up, up, down, down and him, him going to E3 and make a big deal about it. These guys have draw from the outside, put them in there. So it could mean nothing. Uh, or it could be them trying to build a bridge. We don't know. Uh, other WWE news this week, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, 
in addition to having his match at UFC 225, CM Punk's uh, court case with Colt Cabana versus uh, Dr. Chris Amon for, uh, from WWE uh, this week. Uh, it finally played out. There was several days, I believe five days of, of four or five days of testimony. Uh, and ultimately, uh, Chris Amon was looking for about $4 million in damages, a little under, uh, from Colt and CM Punk uh, for defamation and for, according to him, lying about his him, him doing a poor job as the medical officer at WWE. Um, and the judge ruled in favor of CM Punk and Colt Cabana and dismissed the case. So um, a lot of testimony, some of it was funny. Uh, we finally learned on the record officially that CM in CM Punk stands for Chick Magnet. There were some goofy moments like that that a lot of people are talking about on the internet about uh, one of the pieces of evidence being a Speedo that CM Punk wore on an episode of Raw and him having to identify it. Um, but there was a lot of heart-wrenching stuff in there, too, about CM Punk talking about breaking down into tears backstage and having a lot of serious health issues. Uh, ultimately, it's great to see that the, the this is all over now. Um, some people have asked... Do you think that after now that this is over, there could be a bridge repairing with CM Punk and WWE? And I just don't see that happening. Um, you know, CM Punk was interviewed by a reporter from TSN leading up to his UFC fight. Uh, and he basically said, I don't understand why people keep asking if I'm coming back to wrestling. You know, he said wrestling's in his rearview mirror. He's not coming back. Get over it. And I think that that is. It's fair for fans to fantasy book in their heads about what would happen if a CM Punk in his prime or even a CM Punk now fought someone else that's on the roster now. There's nothing wrong with that. But going to shows and chanting CM Punk and, and people saying, oh, do you think CM Punk's coming back? The man writes comic books. His UFC MMA career might be done after 225. Dana White said that he doesn't want to have another UFC fight for, for CM Punk. He could go somewhere else. He could try it in, in Bellator. He could try a lot of other options if he wants to stick with MMA. Or he could say, you know what? It was my dream to do the UFC thing and to fight MMA. And I did it. And I proved that I could go the distance to a decision and a fight. And fuck yeah, he did. I mean, he got his ass whooped, but he did it. So point is he's going to go to the all-in events uh signing at pro wrestling tees um but he has said he will not be at the all-in event uh, in the crowd in a match uh so if if you are expecting cm punk to be at that show and that is why you're wanting to try to go to that show which it's sold out like like that but if that's why you're wanting to watch don't get your hopes up He's, he said on the record, definitively, I am not coming back to wrestling. And I think it's respectful to just give the man his space. He says he's not coming back. That's that. Respect the decision. Uh, other, other, uh, not UFC, other, uh, wrestling news, uh, and related to that, uh, a lot of issues going on on Twitter with Corey Graves tweeting around CM Punk's UFC 225 match. Um, a lot of stuff that some fans took as hurtful directed at CM Punk about how he felt like he was disrespected after CM Punk left and that CM Punk turned his back, uh, on a lot of his brothers and sisters as Corey put it in the WWE people who had his back and were his friends. Um, 
And he had said that he felt like the reason that CM Punk stopped talking to him and a lot of other people at the company that like him and respect him is because of, as he put it, quote, you know, who, who, whose name is on my paycheck because he is a WWE employee. Um, and honestly, there's, there's a possibility to that. You got to remember that CM Punk found out that he was fired on his wedding day. He got the notification of his, of his contract termination on his wedding day. And a lot of people speculate that Chris Amon might have been pushing for this trial to be when it was uh, to fuck with his UFC 225 match. I mean, you know, this is the final week leading up to his fight. And now he has to be in court. And it's not, you know, that's not a known reason. It's not something that is proven that that's why. But it is kind of suspect. Um, And maybe that sounds conspiracy theory. I don't know. But it is something to consider. And also, you know, I think that Corey Graves is definitely entitled to his opinion. He's definitely entitled to be hurt that somebody he considered a close friend is no longer on speaking terms with him. Um, if I were in his position, I would try to understand that, yeah, you work for a company that really fucking burned this guy. So maybe he just doesn't want to associate with that. And especially since he's trying to put wrestling in his past, maybe hanging out with dudes who are still kicking around WWE isn't what he's into right now. Um, obviously I'm not either of them. None of us are either of them except for them. So you know, this is all sort of armchair quarterbacking and, and you know, backseat driving and, and, and other cliches, other metaphors uh, for just trying to analyze other people's lives. Um, but that being said, I would love to know what you guys think about some of the stuff. Uh, make sure to tweet us at small package POD. Let us know what you think about some of these stories. Other wrestling news. Uh, I don't know if I talked about this with Bob on the podcast last week. My bad. Uh, Enzo Amore uh, released another track. Um, he released his first one, uh, Phoenix, which was just absolutely, uh, absolutely just awkward to to watch the music video and listen to. It was a World Star Hip Hop exclusive release, but now you can find it on, on many platforms. Uh, basically, Enzo just rapping into the camera about... Uh, how he didn't sexually assault the girl that he was accused of sexually assaulting um, when he when he got released from WWE. Uh, and regardless of whatever happened, uh, whether he did it, whether he didn't do it, this track is, is weird. It is not very good. It is not easy to listen to. Um, he refers to his, his, his genitals as his consensual penis. Um, several times in the song, it's it's very weird. Um, and it's kind of a train wreck to watch. If you're into that kind of train wreck stuff, definitely check it out. Google search for Enzo uh, Enzo Phoenix World Star Hip Hop. You'll find it. Um, and uh, in other in other news, Jeff Hardy pinched a nerve. Uh, according to PW Torch, he is injured again. Uh, he's dealing with some nerve issues. Not sure where that came from. Uh, but that is reported by PW torch. Uh, also WWE big, big push for the Emmy considerations, the, uh, for your considerations event. Um, you know, a lot of companies come out and put out 
material that they want the Emmys to consider. And WWE is making a big push right now. Uh, and it's funny because uh, amongst the things that they're putting up for consideration for the Emmys um, was the Cruiserweight Classic, uh, which definitely uh, was it the Women's Classic. Might have been the, the Mae Young Classic. Anyway, uh, they put up one of those as one. They put up uh, one of their 24 episodes. But the funniest thing is that their bi- one of their big ones, the representation of Raw that they're putting up for the Emmys consideration is Raw 25, which if you remember the episode where Bob and I talked about Raw 25, that episode was kind of a clusterfuck. Um, it was very weird. Uh, there was a lot of just sort of things that felt off. However, I guess if you're not a wrestling fan and you don't know the week to week stories, you might not know that it was that big of a train wreck storyline wise. Um, so maybe that is a smart play and it definitely was a big flashy episode that had a lot going on. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, uh, they actually pick up nominations for Emmys. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that this upcoming week. Uh, Monday and Tuesday is the go home show for money in the bank. Uh, so I guess real quick, I'll go ahead and segue into raw. Um, again, Bob and I are no longer going to be doing a beat for beat breakdown of Monday Night Raw. Just sort of talking about, uh, storyline stuff, overarching stuff, what we think our opinions on that kind of stuff, making this podcast format a little bit more, uh, just sort of casual and just sort of discussion based. Um, we had said on last week's episode, um, which I believe is going up on a slight delay, uh, that, you know, there's plenty of other podcasts out there and YouTube channels and, and all sorts of stuff that do the beat for beat complete breakdown of each show. And, uh, the, and there's definitely some that do it better than we did. Um, but we like your feedback and your thoughts and stuff. So like I've said before, hit us up on Twitter at small package POD, uh, and also on our Facebook same thing, facebook.com backslash small package POD. Uh, let us know what you guys think about uh, switching up the format of the show. Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Let us know. Uh, you know, I, like I said at the top, we're going, this is our second anniversary this month uh, of being on Podbean, and we're going into our third year, and we want feedback from you guys. We're changing some stuff up, and we want your guys' feedback on what you think about the show, what you want improved, what you want changed. Um, don't worry if one of the things is you want two people on this show, Bob will be back. It will not be just me next week. Uh, but anyway, moving back on to raw. Uh, so just some stuff I want to talk about, uh, this constable, uh, Corbin character is interesting to me. I, I want to see where they go with this. It could be fun and it could have moments. Um, and it's definitely something for Baron Corbin to do. Because right now, he's just sort of lost in the shuffle. And especially with his recent history not being that great. I mean, his finishers are pretty protected. Uh, it's, not that he necessarily, it's not that he looks bad in the ring, but he's lost some questionable matches. And especially ever since last Money in the Bank, when he won the briefcase and then squandered it, uh, it hasn't been a great look. Baron Corbin's had a rough year. Uh, if this is something they can use to rehab the Corbin character, then I, I'm for it. You know, make him almost like one of those annoying heel authority figure types. Um, but he definitely can look strong in the ring. So I'm interested to see what they do with him. Uh, confusing on whether or not 
Bailey and Sasha are going to be done feuding or what's going on. They were pushing the Bailey and Sasha feud for a while. Uh, it seemed like it was finally going to happen, especially after Elimination Chamber. And it didn't come to fruition. And now that Bailey came in to make the save for Sasha, it's a little bit confusing as to what they're going to do here now. Uh, so, you know, I, I get that the Constable Corbin character told Kurt that he had to go nullify their win after Alexa got injured and Bailey came out at the end of the match, which also was confusing why Alexa was fighting on the face team. But, you know, when Ember and Sasha were getting their ass whooped by the riot squad and Bailey comes out to be the new third member and gets the hot tag and the win, you know, when Kurt took that away from them, Sasha and Ember looked annoyed with Bailey. Which is confusing because even if they lost the win, Bailey saved them from the the three on two ass whooping that they were receiving at the time. Um, so maybe the annoyance of Sasha will keep this feud going. But it's just sort of weird to see them basically saying like, "Okay, we're done with this feud" before the feud ever really happened. Um, I have some issues with that. Rhonda on commentary was awkward. Um, I didn't love Ronda Rousey on commentary. Uh, There's a few times where she, she repeated herself. One of which was some joke about only your husband could call would could say something about her is a very awkward joke. And then she repeated it. Uh, I just remember being very confused as to what she was talking about. So I don't think Ronda is someone who was helped out by being on commentary. A lot of people that are great when you put them in the commentary chair, Kevin Owens is great. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of guys who who are who shine in that commentary role. I don't think that's for Ronda. Natalia was fighting Nia Jax while Ronda's on commentary, and you know Natalia had a kayfabe injury and she sold it, and it looked like Nia had injured her. They call the match. Nia looks concerned for Natalia in the storyline. Ronda and Natalia are BFFs, so Ronda comes down to the ring to help her, and Nia keeps trying to help check on Natalia. And Rhonda keeps telling her to back off. You're the one who hurt her. Back off. They go backstage, and Naya is still trying to get in there to check on Natalia's health. And Rhonda tells her to get out of there and get away because you're the one who hurt her. And Natalia is like, I can't deal with you two fighting and walks off on crutches. And it's like, what the hell is going on with this women's title story? Is Nia Jax a heel or not? She was the face in the Alexa Bliss feud because Alexa was the bully. And Nia made such a be a star, super corporate slogan here point of bullies are bad and bullies are mean and bullies don't stand a chance against me. And then as soon as she challenged Rhonda, they immediately just with no transition no storyline transition flip it to make Nia the big bad bully. And I'm so confused with it. It doesn't work. It's weird. And then, but at least you can commit. You can commit to Nia's a bully now, and then we can just go, okay, well, WWE doesn't do transitions and storylines, so who cares? Nia's the bad guy now. But then you have a segment like this where you make Nia look like she's actually maybe not the bully, and maybe Ronda's the bully. And I'm like, just commit. If Ronda's the face and Nia's the heel, that's fine. I can get down on that. I can make the switch mentally and I can just move forward going, okay, Nia's bad now. She's the big bad guy. That's fine. 
But then when you throw a segment like this in here, what are you trying to do? Are you just trying to keep them in a in an ambiguous gray area? Because it doesn't really work. And I think they just sort of need to, hey, if you're making a decision here, stick with it. Don't flip-flop. Uh, speaking of painful and awkward, man, Bobby Lashley on the mic is a terrible idea. Uh, he is a big, bad-looking man who can do some big, bad-looking moves when he's not almost killing big cast with the jackhammer lift, uh, you know, the vertical suplex. Uh, he can, he nails the vertical suplex on most guys, but he's got a weight limit on it. He's big and bad, but this whole thing with his sisters and his family and him talking and Sami Zayn is just kind of a train wreck. Don't, don't let Bobby Lashley talk anymore. Just, just let him be quiet and let him beat up on people. Do what you did that made Braun Strowman get over. He doesn't talk. He's big as intimidating. He fights his matches. He beats up people. Maybe once in a while he takes a microphone and is like, yeah, I did it. I won. I'm bad. That's it. Braun didn't jump into the deep end of giant fucking monologues and giant dialogue conversations with other wrestlers. Braun started off with shouting his name and saying, you're going to get these hands. And then progressed to the point where he cuts promos. And he cuts promos way better now. Like, Braun is definitely top-tier talent at this point. He does incredible stuff in the ring and in the videos. And now he can do a pretty good promo. A believable promo for his character, at least. At the minimum, you would say he's got passably good promos. And on some days, he's got pretty good promos. He's even delivered one or two really great promos, I would say. Um... But they eased him into this. They didn't just go, hey, Braun, you're going out there and doing 10, 15 minutes on the mic tonight. And I know that it's different because Bobby Lashley is not new like Braun was. But Bobby Lashley, look, I didn't follow his run in TNA. I'm not going to try to pretend that I did. So maybe someone out there who watched more of Bobby Lashley on TNA can tweet at me at CB Pointixer or at Small Package POD preferably, and and let me know if his promos were good in TNA. Was he good on the mic in TNA? Because something's not clicking. It might be the storytelling. It might be creative. It's very possible that creative is giving him scripts that are very tight and saying, go out there and say these words, and that's why it's so awkward. But man, the, the thing with his sisters a couple weeks ago when he was like doing the interview, was just like, I just want to say hey to my three beautiful sisters was weird and awkward. The bit that he did with Sami Zayn where Sami Zayn brought out the three dudes dressed to be his sisters, quote unquote, was very awkward. All of this has been awkward. I personally felt like this segment was the most awkward of all. There was just so many weird moments of Bobby Lashley just staring at Sammy, but in the direction of the camera. So it looks like he's looking down the pipe and just just weird nonsense. And Sammy, I like too. I like Sammy normally on the mic. He was trying to go for some crazy cheap heat because they were in Texas and he's talking about how he's going to go eat vegetarian food and, uh, and just like saying like, you know, hippie BS was basically what he was doing for cheap heat and it wasn't happening. And he's disappearing further and further into the crowd, getting away from Bobby Lashley, going up the stairs while talking. And it's just so awkward. This, this segment was painful. I'm not going to say it's one of the more painful segments I've seen. We saw Bailey. This is your life. We saw the new day time machine. All of these things, the old day, all of these things are 
bad. This was just, while maybe not that tier of bad, very awkward. Um, I would like to see less of Bobby Lashley on the mic. Uh, Big Show is alive. That is all. He came out with Special Olympics athletes before Finn Balor's entrance, and we got to see the Big Show. So, hey, there he is. Uh, Speaking of Finn, he had a great match with Kevin Owens, and I just want to not hamper on it too long or stay on it for too long because they put on great matches all the time. There's nothing too special about that. They they both put on a very good match. It ends with a DQ win for Finn. Uh, Then uh, they they both took turns doing some ladder spots. Finn ends the show with the briefcase. Um, they've done this with a couple of guys now where they have the briefcase at the end of the show. Uh, Raw was, if I'm being honest, pretty forgettable this week. Uh, there wasn't a lot about it that made me go, oh man, that was great on Raw. Uh, honestly, before recording this, about an hour or two before recording this, I had to go back and just sort of uh, read one of like the cage side recaps just to remember half of this stuff. Um, and that's not good. I mean, it's not the go-home week, and, you know, Raw was going up against NBA. There was a lot of stuff going on in sports, uh, Stanley Cup. There's a lot going on. So I get that in those kinds of situations, maybe you don't put up the best effort. You know, and like Memorial Day, maybe you don't put up the best effort. And NBA Finals, maybe you don't put up the best effort. But still, you know, you're two weeks out of a pay-per-view. You got to put something up there. Uh, And there's a lot of loose ends right now that I'm just sort of like... Or at least storylines that don't feel tight. Um, and that's not good. Um, you know, I, I, I wish there was more uh, cohesiveness to their storylines right now. There's just a lot of things that are just sort of big question marks. And why is this happening? Um, moving on to SmackDown, and this is going to be even quicker. Uh, the, only, the SmackDown was also pretty forgettable. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was bad. Uh, Raw wasn't great, but Raw wasn't bad. SmackDown wasn't bad. SmackDown might have been even, I would say, good. But again, just forgettable. They didn't really try too hard this week. Um, uh, you know, there just wasn't a lot that was worth talking about. Becky Lynch and Charlotte had a great match. It was very entertaining. Becky won. Um, Nakamura and AJ had a, a, a contract signing that didn't end with the table being flipped, but only because it was backstage. But I'm so... Uh, this Nakamura goofing on people and no-speak-English shit is getting kind of old. Um, you know, the gag this week was, oh, I can't sign. I have no pen. He's like, oh, you lost the pen? And AJ Styles freaks out. I was like, be a man, you coward. And then after the WWE security, he's like, calm down and walks him out of there. Nakamura's like, oh, I had a pen the whole time in my suit jacket. I'm like, I-, I don't get this. Just sign the fucking contract or bring it out to the ring and let them fight each other. And please let this last man standing match at Money in the Bank have a decisive finish. They've already had a couple of matches, and the very first one at WrestleMania was hyped to be this, like, this could be match of the year caliber, and it fell short. And I actually liked the shocking surprise at WrestleMania when Nakamura turned heel by punching him. I thought, man, this is a character change. It gives him something finally to get the heat, to get a reaction. He wasn't getting enough of a reaction from the non, you know, 
uh, hardcore fans who watch the indies and stuff. The, he wasn't getting enough reaction from the casual fan as a face. So maybe if we can get some heat on him, that's fine. Um, and even if you want to have him be kind of a goofy fuck you heel where he's like, oh, yeah, I don't speak English to Renee once or twice. But just the constant no finishes and the dick kicks. And AJ Styles looks like an idiot for not wearing a cup. I know Bob and I have talked about that on the podcast up to this point. I'm sure we talked about it somewhere. But AJ Styles keeps getting punked. And if you keep getting punked and never learn from it, then you are also an idiot. Um, and then also, uh, I thought it was just sort of noteworthy that it appears that they're ignoring the fact that it seemed like Lana a few weeks ago was trying to convince Rusev that Aiden English was holding him back. And now Lana and Aiden are tag teaming and uh, they're both at Rusev's side. Uh, maybe they're not ignoring it. Maybe they're doing almost like what they did with with Orton when the seeds were planted months before he joined the Wyatts that he would eventually turn on Bray. Uh, we won't talk about the House of Horrors match or how shitty that feud wound up getting, but maybe they are planting seeds and maybe that's something down the line, but they're just not doing a lot with Rusev right now, and that's kind of a bummer because the man is very talented and he's super over right now, but they keep putting him as a heel and then not giving him really a lot of push. So it's very, very confusing how they're handling Rusev right now. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle Lana as well, since she's sort of tied into it. But the two of them have an Xfinity commercial right now, which, by the way, is a hilarious spot. I love it. If you haven't seen it running on Raw or SmackDown, uh, I think there's a website called like iSpot uh, that shows commercials. Um, and you can Google search for Rusev WWE. Oh. Nope, I wasn't talking to you, my Google Assistant. Um, there was There's a spot with, uh, if you Google search, um, Rusev and Xfinity uh, commercial. You should be able to find it if, if you don't see it on Raw and SmackDown. They've been running it on SmackDown. Um, but it's interesting to see what they're going to do with Rusev's push, if he's going to have one. So uh, this upcoming week will be the go-home shows for Money in the Bank. Uh, Bob and I will be having a show later this upcoming week, probably Thursday or Friday, where we will talk about Raw and SmackDown and then make our predictions for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which will be Sunday the 16th. Very exciting stuff. Um, anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at CBPointXter, at Bob, at Bob Feckety on Twitter for Bob. He, he's doing his E3 coverage. Make sure to go to Newsweek. Search for Bob's articles, Bob Feckety. F-E-K-E-T-E. Search for him and find his articles on Newsweek. He's doing a lot of coverage for E3. He writes great stuff. Give him some support. You can follow the both of us on Twitter at Small Package P-O-D. That's P-O-D like the band, but it stands for podcast. Also, Facebook.com backslash Small Package P-O-D. Follow us on there. We post whenever we go to indie shows. And if you tweet at us, write at us, we'll read it on the show. We always love your feedback and comments. Let us know what you think of the, of the format changes and and where we're going. Give us suggestions for things to talk about. We'll read your questions on the show. We'll talk on the show. Uh, once again, we are as Ronan, friends of the show. Uh, the Immortal and Empty EP is out on Spotify and iTunes and wherever you get your music. The opening of the show was from the track Affliction Nonfiction. And what you're hearing and what we'll be playing at the outro is also off the album. And it's a song called Clive Burns. 
Uh, so make sure to check out We Are As Ronin and their new EP, Immortal and Empty, on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you get your music. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Small Package Podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about the Money in the Bank Go Home shows. Until then, I'm Court Poindexter. You've been awesome. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Small Package Show. <laughs>